0: This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire, here on Podcast Detroit. I'm your host, Saba Maruf, and my purpose is to share stories of ordinary people. You know, I say ordinary, but... You know, with all these um, stories that we've shared, I I think it's safe to say that they're actually extraordinary people um, who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers and change makers in our communities. And we really hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. And, you know, I think there's a lot of negativity, um, you know, as we know, um, it's like the news. There's just some it's like there's a piece of bad news almost every single day or even half day and so our hope really is to again share these stories um, to inspire and to you know kind of counter that that there there is a lot of good um, and there's a lot of good people that are um, contributing each in their own unique ways and leaving an impact Um, I'm here today with Jess our sound engineer Hi, hi, Jess. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's just us two in the studio. I'm really sad that Calvin is not feeling well today. So our prayers to him. I hope he feels better soon. Yep. Hope you feel better ASAP. And he said he's going to be listening live. So shout out to Calvin. Calvin is usually our co-host here, but again, he's not feeling well. Um, And we actually um, have back-to-back episodes today for our live listeners, which I'm super excited about. Um, Our first episode... Guest uh, or unsung hero is Henna Khan. Hi, Henna. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? How How's your Ramadan going? Good. Good. Alhamdulillah. So far, so good. <laughs> um. So yeah, Henna and I are both fasting. Um. And so. If I need a water break, I'm not going to be able to take one. So bear with me, but we'll be okay. Cough right? it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've been battling a cough, but we'll be okay. Um, but actually, I think it's really neat that Hannah. Um, you know, I'm going to read a little bit of uh, about you here, but um, that you're on because we actually scheduled this uh, a few months ago. You're a busy lady, um, and mm-hmm. I didn't even think that it's going to be Ramadan. And I think that's really um, apt uh, as the first, you know, our first show in Ramadan that we We have the chance to talk to you, so thank you. Yeah,
1: I'm, no, my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad it worked out this way.
0: Yeah, unplanned. Uh, I mean, not really, you know, we didn't we, this kind of worked out this way, but, so Hannah is a picture book and middle grade author, um, and I've had the opportunity to meet her in person, and um, I've, oh, you know what? I forgot to bring in her books. Well, I was going to bring her books in for, to, for Calvin to flip through, and Jess to flip through as we were talking about this, but she, um, has beautiful children's books um, that we're going to talk about, um, including, and I think this is pretty groundbreaking, it's Ramadan Curious George, uh, published in 2016, which really made international headlines. Um, So for Muslim parents and Muslim kids to have a Curious George book about Ramadan is uh, pretty, pretty exciting. Um, You know, growing up in a time where You know, remember when you used to have like those name tags or those plates in like gas stations and random or like amusement parks, and you could never find your name? Did you ever find your name, Hannah?
1: (laughs) I never found my name anywhere.
0: Exactly. That's all I can think about. There was never a Saba. Um, There was a Sarah. I almost got named Sarah, but no, there was never a Saba. So, um, I so that's just kind of a um, an example of how growing up um, as minorities, especially you know. immigrant and then also Muslim Americans, Muslim as a minority, religion and culture and ethnicity, um, it was always a little bit hard to find, you know, you couldn't really find yourself um, in the landscape, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so your books are really groundbreaking in that sense. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, we have several of your books at home and it's so fun to read them and just have something as, you know... that everybody knows, like Curious George and a whole book on Ramadan, um, you know, with with this little monkey talking about <laughs> fasting. It's awesome. Yeah, your, <laughs> you. your other books, um, Golden Domes and Silver Lanterns, um, was a 2013 ALA notable book and 2013 Bank Street College of Education best children's book of the year. And then Night of the Moon um, was a book list 2009 top 10 religion book for youth and that's also we have that one, too. That's also a book um, about Ramadan. Um, so I'm super excited to talk to you about those. And then also um, your recent middle grade novel, Amina's Voice, is the first release of a groundbreaking imprint, Salaam Reads. And it's received starred reviews from Kirkus Booklist and School Librarian, Library Journal. And I know that you've been very busy um, on book tours and, um, you know, different speaking events um, for your newest book, Amina's Voice. So I'm super excited to talk to you about that today. Um, Thank you. And you've written, so you've written two, and you've also written two middle grade choose your own adventure style novels. I have to check those out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I actually started writing books on other themes not related to my religion or culture. Mm -hmm. I started with scholastic book clubs and I wrote about space and spies and different things. So I still enjoy writing about those types of topics as well. And, and the Choose Your Own Adventure books are just very fun to put together and, and send kids on these wacky adventures. So um, so yeah, that that that's a fun side, side set of books I have as
0: well. Wow, that is so cool. I mean, I can say as a mom um, to, um, I'm not going to say reluctant readers. I mean, my kids, my boys like reading, but sometimes they just have to find the right book and um, mm-hmm. Choose Your Own Adventures are always... A favorite and something fun for, yeah, you know, boys and girls to I've been told. get into.
1: Yeah, especially the, these ones, especially when I visit schools, the librarians often tell me that they're, that their male readers really gravitate to them and, and find them fun and exciting. And they actually have some cool graphic art illustration in them as well, which I think is, makes it extra appealing.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, I definitely have to check that out. So tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of not only what inspired you to write, but really, what inspired you to publish your work? Because there's a you know, that's taking a big leap and, you know, it takes a lot of dedication and courage to publish. So tell us a little bit about your first experience publishing and just kind of the inspiration behind that.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, um, as I mentioned, I started with scholastic book clubs and it wasn't something that um, I really planned to do. I just had the opportunity come to me a friend who was an editor there needed some help with the series and asked if I could jump in. We had, we had written together in our high school newspaper. And so she knew I was, I was somebody who loved to write. And I was working in, in public health communications for, at the time. And, and I've been doing that for some time, um, but mostly editing. And so she brought me in saying, you know, maybe, maybe you could, you could help me out. And we could see where this goes. And, and if it's something you like, maybe, maybe it'll work out for you. And so that's how I started. And I, it was like these, um th- this book of the month series. So it was almost like writing a a term paper or a research paper because I would study something like um, satellites or the Earth's Neighborhood or the International Space Station and then write a book about it, and um, the deadlines were quick, and it was, it was a good way for me to learn how to write for kids and, and that going from a technical adult-oriented writing background to a different audience and, and making it fun and accessible uh, to them and, and especially bringing these science or history topics to life in a, in a way that, that they would enjoy. So that, that's what got me interested in writing for kids in general. And then the idea of really writing and, and showcasing my culture and my faith stems from what, what you were saying earlier about not ever having felt included or represented in the literature or, or the arts in general when I was growing up uh, and, and really wanting a different experience for my kids and, and other kids like them to be able to go into a library or into their school and, and pick up a book where they do see themselves. Uh, and then also, you know, for other kids to have that window into into a culture that they may not know or understand uh, as well as they could. So so that was really what what my inspiration was to, to try to do that.
0: Well, I can imagine actually having that deadline um, probably, I mean, that must have been somewhat helpful, too, like you kind of were committed and you had to get these in, so it was like every month
1: um it wasn't every month, it was every few months at first, but um the the writing deadline was often be you know six to eight weeks to get a, a draft in which is which is pretty quick, and they mm-hmm. were pretty substantial books um, for for the amount of you know time I had and yeah, for me i I think I, I work better under deadlines, so now i now I'm, I'm grateful to have them, but when you're just writing into a vacuum and you don't know. If anyone's ever going to read it, <laughs> if you'll ever get it published, it is harder to to I think to to sit down and actually do it. Uh, and so I do feel like a, having started as what we call an industry a writer for hire, where I knew what I was writing would get published you know was a, was a good boost and a good way to start um and then in, in a way, it almost spoiled me because then when I had to go out and actually try to sell things and wait for weeks and weeks and months even for for people to respond and then collect rejections, it was um a, a big wake up call for me to realize that I, I had had it easy in the beginning um, and that not everything you you write does does eventually get published
0: so what you, um, um outside that first experience um which I'm glad you took that plunge it sounds like you you know you had an opportunity and you took it mm-hmm. um but after that which one was your which so was uh Night of the Moon your first uh published yes. book
1: yeah so Night of the Moon was my first what we call trade published book that you, know, you could actually go to a bookstore and, and find and you know it was all over the place and and that came out in 2008 and at the time it really was so this was before social media really had you know taken mm-hmm. off and um you know, and at the time it was one of the earlier books that was published by a mainstream publisher like Chronicle Books, uh, which is a, a medium sized publisher based in San Francisco, and they do a lot of really beautiful art books and gift books and um and to have them take it on, you know, was was a big a big deal at that time. And I remember, I think Karen Katz is my first Ramadan, and Under the Ramadan Moon both came out that same year, the same time as my, or maybe uh, my first Ramadan came out a few months before, and then uh, Under the Ramadan Moon came out around the same time. But all three of those were really the first wave of mainstream published books about Ramadan. Before that, it was really hard to find anything that wasn't more of a like a school, you know, nonfiction textbook type pamphlet, mm-hmm. or um, or books that were set in, um, or published in other countries about, you know, Ramadan or anything else, uh, and and there was really very little by, you know, American-based publishers.
0: Wow. So that so these were kind of yeah. I mean, and so they're kind of also sharing stories of um, and we've been talking about this, but Muslim Americans and kind of how we bring, uh, I imagine, different um traditions from you know, at least from other countries, from our own ethnicities, but also kind of our own American traditions and some of the traditions Mm -hmm. from the African-American community, Muslim community too, I imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's what was really important to me to to emphasize the fact that we are American. And and that's what I wasn't seeing in any of the books, like I said, that I could find, the the few that I could find in the library were, you know, Ahmed's First Fast, which takes place in in Cairo, you know, and Mm -hmm. my kids can't relate to that experience. So I really wanted, you know, something that, reflected the families I knew and, and, and my own. And, uh, and that is, you know, a blend. And of course, being a Pakistani American, my, my books have that flavor, you know, of, you know, within the broader Muslim community, but, you know, there's definitely the American feel to them, which is, which is what I, you know, sought and, um, and, and emphasized to my publisher that, you know, we didn't want to, even in the art, you know, that it was important not to reflect a, a overly foreign feeling in any way. Um, yeah, you know, and, and to make it feel like it, it's, it's Western and modern. Because I think a lot of people automatically assume that Islam is foreign, um, or, you know, an import. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not. It's been here from the very beginning times of our country. So it's important to reflect that.
0: Wow. So now you, um, you're calling in from Maryland, where you live with your husband and two sons. Um, and what are, how old are your boys? They are twelve and sixteen
1: now. so okay. Big kids. Okay. <laughs> but my my sixteen year old was a baby when I started writing uh, for kids, and um, yeah, and I was reading to him and and looking for those books to read to him when when I thought of Night of the Moon, and now he's in high school. it wow. <laughs> Makes me feel really old.
0: So how, yeah, how have they kind of um, responded and reacted to you know mom mom's books on our bookshelf? That's kind of neat.
1: Yeah. Well, they're great. They, I mean, they've had different roles. I think initially, especially my younger one was just, you know, too little to, to even grasp it. Um, and, and as i gotten older, I mean, they've been super helpful to me, even being readers for me and giving me feedback and, um, you know, making sure that my right now I'm writing a book about uh, a series actually about a little boy who loves basketball. So they're giving me great input into, you know, making sure my terminology is correct and, you know, <laughs> plays and things like that. So it's really great to have have their help.
0: Wow. Um, And I guess how has the, you know, the um, response been from schools and uh, are your books sold in like scholastic uh, book fairs?
1: Yes, actually. um, Golden Domes and Silver Lanterns was um, put into scholastic book fairs. So it's available there. And um, An Ominous Voice, the book that just came out, is... um, it's, there's also a scholastic version that's out right now. So kids are taking home the flyers from, from school and, and they can purchase them in this voice that way as part of a, a collaboration with my publisher, which is Simon and Schuster Salam reads. Um, and, uh, the we need diverse books, um, organization? So they've, they've highlighted the book as, as one of those diverse books that children should be looking at. So, um, so yeah, those, that that actually does helps a lot in terms of getting books into kids' hands and, and getting you know nationwide reach you know beyond bookstores and libraries to actually have them in, in the school's book fair is is great.
0: And how has the response been from? I remember reading something a few years ago, um, but I mean, I guess from parents and kids, like you know, teachers, librarians alike.
1: Yeah, I mean, overall, it's been amazingly positive. I think even from you know the very first Night of the Moon publication I had, you know, a teacher just hug me in a hallway once when I went to visit thing that, you know, thanking me for this book that she felt helped her understand Ramadan in a way that she never had before um and you know even you know parents i feel like that's the beauty of picture books is that you reach the kids but you also reach educators and parents and others who are reading to them and sharing these books with them so it's an actual it's a much bigger audience than people might realize at first you're not just talking to you know three or five year olds Mm -hmm. um and and overall that you know i've been i've been so honored by by the reaction my books have gotten at, at every level from you know within the profession and and the industry, you know, the reviews to, to librarians really embracing it and, and wanting to share it to other authors, being extremely supportive um, and encouraging and, and sharing it and even, you know, running campaigns to, to give it away um, recently uh, to, you know, of course, the Voice and, and uh, just being invited to share that and, and speak about it in so many different venues. So it's, it's been amazing to see, especially the, the steady but growing interest in, in the work that I'm doing.
0: Has there been any, you know, surprising responses or, you know, any negative, I guess? Um, there were a couple
1: of negative incidents. Um, you know, I, I get the occasional person on online who, or, you know, on Twitter or uh, people posting nasty reviews, especially with Curious George last year. Um, that book, I think because it was so visible and it did get a lot of media attention, um, you know, that invited some, some backlash. Um, there was a a radio show in Florida that was, um, talking about it. I, I couldn't listen past the first five minutes, but it was, um, you know, really, really upset about the fact that they, quote unquote, were taking Curious George, uh, and why couldn't they come up with their own character and, and, and just let Curious George be curious, um, which I found ironic that <laughs> wow. he's been curious about uh, Ramadan. Yeah. So, um, it was interesting. And, you know, of course, not knowing that the publisher was the one who approached me and asked me to write, write the book on their behalf, um, wanting to be inclusive and representative, which I thought was a beautiful thing. And, and so of course, you know, there's, there's people who are going to protest golden domes and silver lanterns. um, As we mentioned, is is in the school book fairs. And so there was a a dad in Florida, uh, sorry, not Florida, in uh, Georgia. And uh, who, whose daughter bought it and brought it home. And, he was upset when he saw it and took it back to the school board and uh, to the school book fair and, and went to the school board to complain and, and ended up getting some attention for that. But um, the reaction, you know, that he had was whatever, like he was published in an online journal and he was on Fox News. But the reaction that the book got was amazing because everybody stepped up and, and said, you know, that his his bigoted viewpoint you know had no value to them and that they were gonna buy the book and make sure it was in their library or in their book there. So um wow. so even even with that, you know, something positive came out of it. So
0: Wow. I mean okay. yeah it's Curious George, exactly. Like It's Curious George. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. Wow. Um no I mean in the again um, I would encourage all of our listeners to check out these books, especially, um, I mean, I love the pictures, especially in Golden Domes and Silver Lanterns, beautiful illustrations. Thank you.
1: Yeah, the illustrator did a really amazing job. And I'm excited to say that we're working on a sequel right now, uh, which will be a shape concept book. Color, uh, Golden Domes and Silver Lanterns is, is introducing objects through color. And the next book, which will be called Crescent Moons and Pointed Minarets, is, is a book of shapes. And it'll actually take you around, around the world and highlight Islamic art and architecture, so it's it's really beautiful. I'm looking at the art right now and um, the final art's being you know done, and it's it's gorgeous.
0: Wow! So tell us a little bit about Amina's voice because this is a little bit different too. This is your yeah. It's a middle grade novel.
1: Yeah, so this is a novel for you know that third to sixth grade age group, like eight to twelve year olds, and it's you know what, what kids will refer to as a chapter book, and uh, it's it was. It was great. It was lovely to write. It took me a long time to get it published. I wrote it four and four and a half years ago, and um, it's a it's a story about a, a girl named Amina, who's a Pakistani American uh, girl growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, she's the the child of, of Pakistani immigrants, and herself, you know, a second generation American, and and she's just a, a sixth grader entering middle school, dealing with normal, you know, typical, I should say. Um, challenges that a a girl that age might, might face, like, you know, wondering who her friends really are and, and struggling with confidence and, and having um, the confidence to, to use her beautiful voice and, and be on the stage in front of people. She's very stage shy. Um, And that along with, you know, a a window into her family and her community, a Pakistani American household, uh, an older brother who's Becoming a teenager and sort of starting to give his parents some attitude, a, a visiting uncle from Pakistan who's more conservative than her own family, things like that, um, really set the stage for for her journey. Uh, and and I guess one of the reasons the book is getting um, a lot of attention right now is I do address mass vandalism in the story. Um, it's not the entire point. The point is really about her and and you know, like I said, her 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 experiences. But it does it does happen in the book and it's not too much of a spoiler because it is in the inside <laughs> back of the backflap talks about it. But uh, that's something the community is, is faced to you know, faces and, and confronts and and through that, you know, she she has to find her power to, to make a difference. And um, and really, you know, with with what's happening in the world right now and with the tremendous spike we're seeing in in anti Muslim, you know, activity and even attacks on us around the country, it's it's um, you know i 'm being asked a lot why you know, oh, this book is so relevant and timely and it breaks my heart because i I wish it wasn 't uh, at all but on the flip side it 's hopefully a useful tool for people to to have as a, a conversation starter and and for those people who are unfortunately dealing with struggles like you know the one described in the story maybe can serve as an example of how a community can come together and really support you know support one another and um, and get through something like that, so yeah, so that 's aouss voice which i 'm i 'm very excited about for for many for for the reason that it it took so long to publish and and is a story that I was really eager to tell to to the content to the fact that it 's also uh the you know this this launch book of this new imprint called Salam reads, which is focusing on books about Muslims, which I think is just so incredible
0: wow, so um yeah, how long is Salam reads? Is this a new concept, or is your book the first kind of installment? Or, yeah. Oh, that's so really my,
1: nice. my book yeah. launched, launched the, series, the the imprint. So um, the imprint was created last year and my book was the first to be published, but it was quickly followed by another uh, middle grade fantasy novel called The Gauntlet. And um, there's a YA book coming out soon and then a couple of picture books. So it'll have a complete list from picture book to, to young adults. Um, but it was just an honor you know, to have my book start, started off. And, um, and because of that, I think it's getting
0: you know, extra attention as well. Wow, that is really cool. I mean, especially that age group, I totally remember um, reading book after book, chapter you know chapter books after uh, book about, um, yeah, exactly those things like friends and um, building confidence and you know where you fit in in the world. Um, what mm-hmm, were some books mm-hmm. that I guess have really shaped you um, and and how is that kind of um, how does that inform your writing?
1: So I I also loved to read most I think at that age. I was a, a big reader as a kid and um, and that that age group was one book spoke to me the most and I read everything that I could get my hands on, so I, you know, whether it was fantasy or science fiction or Nancy Drew or whatever it was, but the but the books I kept going back to and the ones I read over and over again were realistic fiction, usually with, you know, a female protagonist and something very family and, and and let real life focus like the little house on the prairie series or little women. And, um, I loved Beverly Clary's books and oh, yeah, all of the Ramona Klimby series. Mm-hmm. Those are like my favorite. I, I love that girl and I love that character. And I still think about those characters in my life. Um, and even I was telling a bunch of kids of us the other day that every time I pour, sugar into a pot, like when I'm refilling my sugar pot, I think of Laura Ingalls Wilder on the prairie and her dad, Pa, going to the, to the store and, like, you know, going into the city to get sugar and coming back with this tiny pouch. Um, and I just feel so blessed when I'm filling this giant, you know, sugar pot mm-hmm. with a giant bag of sugar. And, and it's amazing the way that those details of those stories stay with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that was really something that I, I wish so much that a kid could pick up my book and connect with a character that I've created and hopefully think of her as a friend and as a real person and her family as, as you know, real people that, you know, the reader could relate to. And, and hopefully through that, especially a Muslim American family that, you know, not everyone has access to or a, a community of people that, you know, they may not be familiar with to be able to hopefully, you know, get to know them and appreciate them in a, in a different way than, than they might have otherwise um, would really make me very, very happy.
0: Wow. No, I can um, totally relate to that. Um, and it's, I think as a parent, it's fun to kind of revisit some of those books. Um, I used to read a lot of Beverly Cleary too. So like Ralph at the Motorcycle and um, Socks, mm-hmm, my kid, mm-hmm. and maybe not the Ramona ones, because I've got boys, so they're not really that into that. But uh, I think my yeah, well first... was Henry
1: Huggins and Ribzee. oh Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Um that too. I think my first chapter book was um, Socks, um, about the cat and both my boys have really liked that. It's like they don't want to read it and then we start reading it and they start to get into it. Um, so now you were writing I, I would think that um, you know, and you mentioned this, um, but if you can kinda of delve into this, writing for children or, you know, preteens, like you definitely have to you have to change your writing voice, um, and kind of put yourself in that mindset. How do you do that?
1: Mm hmm. Um, so for me, it, you know, with ominous voice, it was, it was a process. Like I, like I said, I had started with, you know, a lot of activity oriented and, and research oriented, you know, writing. So it was, you know, reporting on on something that happened in history or something scientific. And so, um, you know, for me at that time, it was learning how to write in a very clear and concise and like lighthearted way, and you know, to even use little puns and exclamation points and things like that that I I couldn't do in the in the science writing I was doing at the time. So, um, so that was fun to learn, but, you know, to really capture the voice and the, you know, the feelings of a middle schooler, obviously, as an adult, you know, took, took some time to go back and, and, and really think about what it was like to be that age, to draw from my own experience, and experience of my children and others, um, and then really to play with language. I feel like my, my biggest challenge was dialogue. Um, and I, you know, readers and reviewers that I had, you know, one in particular a friend of mine pointed out that my, my dialogue just didn't sound real because it was, you know, written in complete sentences, you know, things like that that I had to go back and really work on. Um, and with Ominous Voice, I had to actually revise the entire draft. I, the first time I submitted it for publication, uh, it was written in a third person. And at the time, I, I was very happy with it. I thought it was, you know, the best I could make it. And when I went back and uh, maybe a year later and, and tried to revise it in certain ways and realized it just wasn't working, um, I decided to go back and write it in the first person voice instead. And, um, and in doing that, I think uh, I was able to retell the story from, from this girl's perspective, you know, really get into her head and cut out a lot of the unnecessary details I had woven in the first time around. Um, and also, um I feel like you know just invite invite a kid right away into into what you're thinking and feeling, um, so I was happy with that change, and, and that's eventually the version that was was published um but yeah I, d- I definitely think you know it's a it's a process <laughs> like um you know and, and testing really, testing with with young readers, which is what I tried to do as well to get them to you know comment on it and you know would you would you say it this way, or you know does this seem believable to you and, and so on?
0: And for children's books in particular, I mean, you know, there's not that, it's not, you know, there's, they're pretty concise and short sentences. So you have to be Mm -hmm. really, I think I remember you mentioning this actually, when you spoke at an event, you have to be really selective and pick, you know, the exact words that you mean that you want to use. Yeah, yeah, and
1: especially in picture books. I mean, I think with a novel you have more leeway. Like one bad sentence isn't going to spoil the entire book. But in a picture book, where you're dealing with such limited real estate, and you may only have like 500 to 1,000 words to work with in total, um, you know, if you just mess, you know, mess it up somehow, or like, you know, make pull someone out of the book if they're confused or you know, stumbling over what you're trying to, trying to mean, then that can just spoil the experience. So I think it's it's even more important when you're dealing with shorter works to be really really careful with
0: your language. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, So what are some, so you've been doing um, book tours um, all across the country, it seems like. What are some some of the memorable responses um, that you've received from Muslims, Muslim Americans, um, non-Muslims? What are some of the memorable responses?
1: um, Well, I recently was in um, California for a few days um, sharing sharing my story at different uh, Islamic schools and, you know, public schools i have done a lot of um, public and private schools around the country, but this was my first time doing a group of Islamic schools. Uh, and so that was a, a new experience for me to connect with kids who, um, you know, are, are in a different environment than, you know, I grew up in a public school environment, my kids are in public schools. Um, and, you know, to, to being in, a, in, a, in that situation and, and just to feel um, the, uh, just a different type of appreciation from kids who are very familiar with the content. So it wasn't so much a teaching experience for them to learn about a different culture. I'm not coming in as a representative of, of my faith, but really um, someone from their community to share with. So that that was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, to, to have that, that contrast with a public school where, um, you know, talking to 700 kids in a day where there maybe are a handful of, of Muslim children in that class and, I mean, in that school and to see, you know, one girl in the entire school wearing the hijab and then just to feel their reaction when I, when I start to discuss things that they identify with and they're bursting out of their seat and raising their hands and other kids around them are, are pointing at them to, uh, to make sure I can see that they're raising their hands, you know, and, and want me to call them so that they can say I'm a Muslim. You know, that's all they want to tell me is that I'm a Muslim, too. And uh, it's so it's so moving to have that experience over and over again in different settings um, to have kids just feel proud um, to be able to share. And surprisingly to have and this has happened more and more in recent days where where teachers and and the organizers of my visits are surprised that they don't realize that how many Muslims are in the the schools because yeah, that's obviously not something you ask, mm-hmm. um, and it it isn't until I'm I'm there and the kids start to share that they realize that there were many more than they than they thought. Um, so that that's been a really moving experience. Um, another one was just recently going to Texas. Um, I was invited by the Reading Rockstar program, which is part of the Texas Literary Festival, and it was a, such an honor to go, to go down to Dallas and. Um, to go to a Title I school where everyone uh, was given a copy of Amina's Voice and to talk with these kids about the book and to see the level of effort and preparation they put into my visit. Like they had decorated the walls of the school with, there were three authors visiting. One was Laura Bush, actually, um, which was an Mm -hmm. honor to to meet her. Um, And she's the founder of of the Texas Literary Festival and, of course, the National Festival here in D.C. And and she does so much for literacy and, and for libraries. Um, but there were three authors, and so each, each hallway of the school was decorated with art and projects and everything around our books. And so kids had, you know, done personal reflections and Venn diagrams comparing their lives to Amina's life and done Islamic art and, and just amazing work um, on display before. So that was just such a moving experience to see um, the amount of care and thought and just anticipation around our visit. Um, really, really touching.
0: Wow. Um, So I guess um, how has sharing these important stories changed you? Because obviously you're making an impact on children of all different age age groups um, from, you know, your own community to beyond, um, you know, for kids that don't know anything about Muslims or that might have that one Muslim friend and getting a little, I would imagine, a little glimpse of their life. To um, Muslim American children and youth, um, exactly that have not felt representative up to, represented up to this point, and now they have mm-hmm. books on their bookshelf and in their libraries, and they they, they can share or give as gifts. Um, how is how is this experience and sharing these important stories changed you?
1: So I think um, well, last year I made the decision. I'd, I'd always balanced um, my creative writing with. Um, you know, public health writing. So if I wasn't working for a nonprofit or, or, um, you know, doing consulting work for them, I was, I was somehow connected to something other than my, you know, creative writing. So I had that, or I was active in, in ISU, the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding on their board. Um, and just other, you know, have, keeping my fingers, I guess, in multiple pies <laughs> to mm-hmm. not fully commit to, you know, being an author and and to to sharing my stories and you know it was something I loved to do and I was happy to do, but I just wasn't embracing that fully. Um, and I think I, I I think it was fear of failure, really, to be honest, and and not not feeling like, you know, not feeling comfortable with the idea of putting all my eggs in that basket um, and declaring myself that alone. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a public health professional who also writes children's books or, you know, I, but I'm also on the board of this organization or whatever it is. And, um, last year, just seeing the way, the way, the way the world was changing around me and, and going into a school, um, two days after the San Bernardino shootings happened, I had been invited and I was working for a public health organization at the time, but I, you know, I promised myself that, it, you know, when, I would still prioritize the, the children's writing as well and and try to do events you know as as they came um, maybe once or twice a month and so the school had invited me, and it was the first time that I felt nervous before a school visit because i I just didn't know what how I would be received or what you know what what the mood would be like and I went in and was greeted with so much love and warmth and and the way the librarian embraced me and and thanked me for coming and told me how important it was that I was there, like was just, one, it was just, it's just so, it was so moving for me, but also made me just realize how important it was and how, as much as I enjoyed doing public health work and thought it was valuable, that I had a unique opportunity to go out and, and share my voice and share my story and, and for to be able to talk to kids or a group of, you know, librarians or, or teachers or whoever about my work and why I do what I do, why it matters, and just, for, for young kids, especially, or even adults, actually, to just meet the Muslim who they may not know, or to see someone who may, may you know, seem different than what they're hearing in the news, or what they may be associating with, with Muslim people, um, was something I realized I, I had to do. And so I made the decision last year to focus on, on writing full-time, and and doing events like that with more frequency, and and like you mentioned, I've been busy the last few couple of months. But I feel like I can't say no <laughs> if somebody wants me to come. I have to try to make it happen somehow because I feel like you know the the people there, you know, for whatever reason, feel the need to have me come, and I want to I want to be able to do that, um, and and hopefully make a difference somehow. So it's been it's been a very moving and humbling experience for me to to have this audience. But I feel like a sense of like duty to to do it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like I have to. Wow.
0: No, I mean, as a parent, I'm so appreciative that you are doing this important work. And we didn't even talk about your, you know, your day job, what your day job was, or as we continue. And I I think you're right. That's how we initially met was through the, and and Calvin has heard about ISPU, but the Institute of Social Policy and Understanding, I forgot you were on the board for that too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, as a parent, I, I think it's interesting that this is kind of all coming up at this time um and it is interesting also that you wrote Amina's voice 4 years ago and mm-hmm. who knew that by the time it was published um our you know with politics and everything um life would be uh, I, the american landscape would be a little bit different or at least mm-hmm. uh top down i don't think you know it's a reflection of the entire landscape um but yeah and to, you know it's yeah, interesting and I will the say timeline one
1: thing that's been really um, Really encouraging in terms of, you know, changing me. I feel that with, you know, everything I'm, I'm hearing and, and the feelings around the election and, and post election and, and hearing the anti Muslim rhetoric and, you know, the travel ban and, and all this stuff that is so disheartening, um, I do feel really blessed that I'm in a, in a community of people that are so supportive and loving, um, from, you know, teachers and librarians to fellow authors to booksellers and festival organizers and everybody is so welcoming and (laughs) appreciative of what I'm doing and and I feel like they believe in, you know, diverse books and getting diverse stories out there and in the power of storytelling to change hearts and minds and to see that um, commitment, you know, and, um, you know, just effort to get to get my work out there is, is so moving and, and really gives me a lot of hope when, when you do, you know, because I, I feel like I, I, I could have retreated and just really gone into a bubble of like, you know, mm-hmm. fear and, and just, you know, depression almost. And, and this has saved me from that <laughs> because, um, you know, I, I just do feel, feel very, very supported by everyone else, which, which helps so much.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, even the negative experience, like as you mentioned, there was more positive that came out of that and you actually got more attention through it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that wasn't yeah. that dad's yeah. uh, intention, but you
1: can. Oh, I more know, attention. like to say, right? No, no, publicity is bad publicity. <laughs> I, say. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, in that case, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was heartwarming because as much as it was distressing to, you know, hear something negative, to have actually the book fair organizer email me directly and tell me, you know, I want you to know this happened, and this man came in, and he's going to the school board, but I'm going to fight this. And she wrote me a beautiful letter. I remember I was like in Home Depot <laughs> buying something, and saw her letter on on my phone and started crying because it was so touching to have her like declare that I this is not representative of, of who our school is and the parents that I know and I'm gonna I'm gonna fight this if it takes everything I have to do and um, so yeah it's everything
0: everything bad's been uh,
1: surrounded by something good.
0: Wow. And also, I mean, just um, I, you know the creating just like the whole process of creating. I definitely agree with you. There's definitely something healing in that. And um, we've kind of talked about this here before too, just exactly kind of post-election and just this, everything that's going on. It is easy to just kind of want to retreat. Um, But I think that creating something, whether it's through writing or, um, you know, um, you know, we've had a a variety of people on actually that have like their own, they go through their own creative process, art, art, it's, I mean, there's definitely a catharsis in that and healing, I think, even mm-hmm. in that process. So, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're connecting with people in a way that you might not get the chance to do otherwise when you're sharing that with the
0: world. So. For sure. I actually yeah. took, um, an anthropology class uh, in college and something that the professor mentioned really, really stuck with me. Um, it was interesting because we read all different types of books, a few textbook kind of things, chapters, um, but we actually had a whole book on, it was actually, an, it was a, one of the most, you know, I was mostly pre-med and all these bio classes, but the, the classes that meant the most to me and left the most impact were my like art history class and my African-American mm-hmm. history. Um, this was an anthropology actually of Southeast Asia. So kind of like, um, actually, the like Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and it was the first time I was kind of studying this stuff. But one of the books that we used was actually a book of short stories. And what the professor said was that there's something that you get, um, what you learn, and what you gain from reading um, uh, fiction um, is sometimes more valuable um, than you know any any anthropological text might provide. Um, might be you know and it really informs you in a different way. Um, hmm. And I've always, you know, been one that loved fiction. It's a little bit hard for me to get into nonfiction. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that you're the same way. And I think that's what it is. I, I mean, um, it just helps you build empathy and for kids to kind of, it's, a, you know, amazing way for kids to kind of um, a, a attain another point of view and um, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, walk in somebody's shoes. And and by the way, yeah. I love first person narrative too. I remember in that time, uh, that time when I you know, pre, a middle school, preteen time first person was just so easy to just slip into and you just feel like you're mm-hmm. like watching a movie. So I'm I'm glad you changed yeah. it too. And I look forward to reading that
1: book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I go back and read the old now I was like, what was I thinking? This is so boring <laughs> in comparison. I'm like, I'm really glad I changed it too. Wow. Um,
0: well, thank you yeah. so much for taking time out to talk with us today. Um, anything else Thank that you, you want to share? Thank you It was
1: such a pleasure. No, oh, I
0: know. I, this is awesome. Sorry I cut you off. Oh, no, no. Anything else that you want to, you know, any parting words or any last... Oh, I would
1: to all the parents out
0: there, like, read
1: with your kids. Like, when, when you mentioned that you, you know, read to your, your son and then, you know, get them you know, excited about about what you're reading. Like, even if they're not, you know, they don't seem excited, you know, to read at first. They And if they're even at that age where they might, you know, of course they can read on their own and they're mm-hmm. not you know, needing you to read to them, it's a really lovely way to start stories that they, and get them into stories that they might not want to read otherwise. Um, And that's what I did with my younger son. And now he, he actually, whenever he finishes (coughs) a book, he comes and asks me because we sort of by reading together, we figured out what his taste was, which was different than his older brother. His older brother liked a lot of um, fantasy and, dystopian you know, mm-hmm. books and um, adventure stuff. And, and my younger son likes realistic fiction and he reads a lot of the multicultural books I bring that I, I want to read um, that are middle grade and, and he likes them. So um, so read to your kids and, and don't underestimate their capacity to read a variety of, of books, even if they tend to gravitate towards one. Um, it, it's something fun to do together and it'll really open up both your worlds, I think.
0: Wow. No, I think that's really good advice. Um, I still sometimes reluctantly but i do read to my oldest at times who's 10 and i'm kind of sometimes i'm i'm like you should be reading on your own i've got three other kids here and then it's like (laughs) but when i you know when we do and he he likes it and and he's really listening and i can tell you know his reading comprehension it's not that he's being lazy it's just a shared experience Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so i think that that's that's really good advice so thank you so much henna for being here and um Oh, oh, and then also, yeah. Um, uh, I also wanted to know where can people buy your book, your book, oh, uh, Amna's you. voice, and your other um, books too.
1: Yeah, all of them are um, hopefully in, in bookstores. Um, you know, your local independent bookstore should be able to get it for you. If they don't have it, um, or any of any of them, um, you know, of course they're online on Amazon and, and the other big retailers, and then of course, um, you know, on, on the Simon and Schuster website. But they should be available everywhere. So. Okay, awesome. Yeah, please do check them out and and at your local library,
0: too. Yes, <laughs> don't forget our libraries. And that's mm-hmm. something that um, I think I've seen, too, is um, I don't know who it was, but you can actually sponsor in your library um, in Ramadan to have, like, all the Ramadan books out or, you know, talk to your local librarian, and that's something that's so amazing. Um, when my kids walk into the library and they see some of these books, it, again, it's just another step of, like, acceptance and inclusion and, you know, this feeling that we belong. So that's something that we yeah, it do really too. is.
1: It really is. And and people have been sending me um, pictures of, of Barnes and Noble um, displays that's you know, say celebrating Ramadan and have my books along with others and it, it really does mean so much. So thank you to all of you who are creating those displays. Um, it, it means more than you might realize.
0: Wow, thank you so much, Hannah, for being here. Um, and to our listeners, um, you know, go ahead and like our Facebook page and, you know, listen to our other episodes. We've had amazing people on. Um, and I'm just so excited to add um, the um, Hannah's voice um, to our, you know, our growing collection of Unsung Heroes. So listen, like, share, leave a review. Um, and actually, I'm pretty excited. Um, I didn't mention it, but I'm, what I'm thinking is that I, I'd love to have like kind of a series of, meet, you know, talking to authors um, just as someone that loves reading, has always loved reading. Um, you know, so if there's any author that you have connections with or someone that would like to be on this podcast, please reach out. Um, but thank you so much again, Hannah. Thank you to know, our listeners. For
1: sure. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. No, I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. My pleasure.
0: <laughs> and we'll, we're looking forward to sharing this conversation. Thank you. Thank you.